Simply Financial with Christopher Calandra, Certified Financial Planner, is an innovative, comprehensive, informative, and cutting-edge podcast that discusses financial topics ranging from personal finance, economics, politics, and personal growth. Simply Financial will cover intriguing and thought-provoking questions so that the listener can simply increase their financial IQ. This is Christopher Calandra, your host for the Simply Financial podcast. This episode is a celebration of the one-year anniversary of the start of this podcast. We're in season number two, and this is episode number 34. So in studio with me today, I have a very, very special guest, Mitchell Levy, who is in Connecticut, joining us on a little trip him and his wife are on. He lives in California. Listeners will probably recall uh, Mitchell and I had a great conversation on a previous episode. Just enjoyed a beautiful lunch. And now I am going to ask him 10 questions. So the title of this is 10 Questions with Mitchell Levy. So to begin with, before we get to the questions, thanks so much for taking some time out, sitting down with me today. You know, it's always, uh, it's great to interact with you. It's so much cooler to interact in person. So uh, you have a nice persona, a nice personality. I like this guy. (laughs) You're listening to him. You do too, but he's he's good to meet in person. Very nice. So um, question number one, in doing um, some research about you and your background and all the successes you've had over the course of your career, uh, you you have um, this term that I came across, go forth and do good. So can you talk to me about what that phrase means to you? <laughs> so I'm not sure that one's mine. I think that's one of my authors. Okay. But uh, the the concept here in general and, and what I think about is is part of who you are in life is giving out to other people. That, that ability to be altruistic in who you are and deliver value to others pays back in spades. And... As, as you know, since you watched the TED Talk, it's uh, aha.pub slash TED Talk. We do business with those we know, like, and trust. One of the best ways to be liked and trusted is to do good for others. And by the way, if you do good for others, it's a good way to be known because they'll talk about you. Excellent. Very good. So um, my research team, which consists of me, may have misquoted that, attributing <laughs> it to you. But hopefully I got this one right. Uh, I also came across the term think big. But act small. I think I've seen other versions of that in different books and publications and the like. But um, tell me what your thoughts are about that phrase. And first off, have you said that before? This was mine. All right. Think big, <laughs> but act small. So what does that mean to you? So, well, many people have said this. Uh, but what, what this means for me, this is fun, is I think it's important for you to think about the bigger picture of the world. Because what's going to happen is things change. Things change dramatically. And so as, as life changes, as business changes, as technology changes, as human nature changes, as climate changes, you just add all the changes that, that are there. What you may be doing today may be different tomorrow. So you've got to think big and you got to think, what is the world needing of someone from you? And then when you deliver, you got to deliver very localized solutions to the markets you're going after. So if it's a small market and a small geography, then and it's your hometown, then you know. But if you happen to be delivering, let's say, across the state or across multiple states or across the country or across the world, every particular location you deliver to is different. 
in terms of who you're interacting with and what they're interested in. And so you got to think big globally in terms of what's happening in the world, but you have to deliver on a personalized basis to those that you're interacting with in the countries, in the areas they, they want to be, uh, they live, and in the way that they want to be inter- interacted with. In listening to your answer, this is not part of the 10-question uh, format, but it seems to me with today's world, with social media and Facebook and all of the technology that is out there that allows us to interact and communicate with clients, friends, family, and the like, it's challenging today. It's different than it was a generation ago, especially business-wise, to connect with consumers. You used to just have like a yellow page to sign out in front of your office and you were good to go. It's way more complex today. <laughs> it's, well, it, it, by the way, this leads into the next question, which is beautifully done. Um, the, uh, and the next question is, describe the process of social selling. So I'll cover both. What's interesting is that you can now sell your services and deliver your value to anywhere you want in the world. So that's good. You can do that. What's bad is your competitors can do that as well. You may have competition from other parts of the world whose economic structure is so much different than yours. They can deliver value at a significantly lower price than you can. So what does that mean? That means you have to deliver more value in a different way, in a way that gets people excited. right? And so the, the process of social selling, the process of delivering value to anyone you want in the world is to be able to educate people about who you are and what you do and do it in such a way that they're not only excited about listening to it, they want to share it with others. And that's really what social selling is all about. You write a good blog post. You do a good uh, thing about this this show. You do a good show and you listen to it. And you're like, oh, my God, this is great. Let me share it with others. Or let me do an, a blog article on it. Or I heard a tweet about this one particular point. And I like it. That's what social selling is, is communicating in a one-to-many way in which you're actually communicating to a broader audience not just who you are, but you're sharing other people's content. You're basically grabbing and, and building your influence. Now, as you build your influence and once somebody comes into your circle, then you go back to the previous question, which was think big but act small. And that is once you grab somebody in and they ask you a question, you got to answer their specific question in the, the way they want to hear it. Was that helpful? Yeah, super okay. helpful. It's simple, but it's awfully deep. And as a follow-on question with the social selling, so much has changed over the last couple of years. And I think of our business here at Elliott Wealth Management Services, how we're communicating with clients. And this podcast is an expression of an innovation that's come about over the last year or two. So much has changed. Will the pace of change continue? In other words, in five years from now, will it be as radically different now than it was Five years ago? <laughs> Do you want more than a simple yes? It's yes. It's going to be radically different. I was, yeah. ho- I was hoping for it's going to slow down a bit. No, <laughs> no. So the the way I like to, to think about it is, is we have, if you think about back, way back when, the 1920s, you can buy any car you want in any color you want in any brand you want as long as it was a Ford Model T and it was black. Now, between 1920 and let's, let's fast forward to 2020, 100 years. So the old days was the industrial age 
what I call today's world is the social age. And between then and now, a hundred years has gone by, and I believe we are only halfway towards the transition we're ultimately making to the social age. And it's going to happen a lot faster than a hundred years. But if you think about the change between 1920 and 2020, think about that change being only 50% of ultimately what's going to happen. Everything's going to change. Radically, everything's going to change. And so some people would say that video is the next thing that if this podcast stuff is cool, but now make it video. Other people, there are many different tools and techniques. What I would say is don't just jump on the latest bandwagon. Don't just jump on the latest technology. Try to continually ask the question, who are my customers and how do they want to be communicated to? And then as you're listening, when they start talking about this newfangled technology, whatever it is that you're not playing with, then that's when you start moving in that direction. So try to meet your clients where they're going. Beautiful. So that ties in with the, the next question. So as I alluded to, I began the Simply Financial podcast last year, uh, in part at scratching my own itch. Like I enjoy this tremendously. Forget any oh, this business is this parts is of it. fun stuff. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I enjoy the heck out of it. And it gives me freedom to talk about a whole variety of issues. Sometimes it's very squarely in the financial planning space. But recently I interviewed a family friend, of mine. She's 18 years old. She's an aspiring musician. She is going out on tour. She's making money. And being able to incorporate that into the podcast is really wonderful for me. From a business perspective, though, it makes a lot of sense to communicate with clients, especially those that are not necessarily right here near my office where it's easy to meet either because of geography or because of incredibly busy work or life schedules, traveling. They might be traveling the world in retirement. So the podcast is a way that they could keep tabs on what I'm thinking about and tune in on demand when it works for them. I see that podcast, there's a gazillion podcast shows, right? Everybody and their grandma is doing a podcast. And so what do you think about the explosion of podcasts in the social selling realm? You touched on it a little bit because you hinted that you know, it may not be a lasting thing because it'll evolve to video. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I'd say here's where it gets really interesting. The question I'll ask is who's your client, right? So just because you can now get on a podcast or a video cast or anything and reach millions or maybe even billions of people, does that mean you're going to have millions of clients or billions of clients? The answer is no, right? So what you have to think about is... What is your client base? Who are they? How big are they? Who are you going after? And what will happen is you're not going to go after the world. And as as there are more competition, your job is to narrow the focus of this show in such a way that you're appealing to the people that's in your much smaller sphere of what your client base is. So when you could do a better job of target marketing, who it is you're trying to reach, and you put shows, including, by the way, having a show with an 18-year-old who's starting a profession. How many of your clients have kids or grandkids sure. who will go through the same thing? And they're thinking, oh, my God, I'm so glad, Chris. I am now yeah. so much, have so much more insight, right? So if you think about it, and by the way, it was probably fun, family, friend, really sure. interesting to do. Lots of altruistic components to it. it 
insight into your friend that you didn't have before. All that's beautiful. But at the end of the day, what you should be thinking about is who, who you're going to reach and what are some of the things that they're interested in. And the more you can narrow that down, even when there's a lot of competition, you don't need to have 30,000 views or 50,000 views or 100 million views to be successful. That's true. If you had the need to pick up 10 new clients next year and you had your existing 10 clients and 10 new people listen that became clients, you would be really successful. Absolutely. Right, so that's it's so the numbers game is simply being focused on who you are, who you're going after, what numbers you need to reach and trying to focus what you're doing specifically on those that you want to reach and and that's going to happen as you have more competition. That's when you go from the generic shows to the more specialized shows. Good. Very good. Uh, Let's switch gears slightly. In um, the opening, having you on, very accomplished business person, you've written 59 books. Actually, I think your 60th is going to be coming out not too long. Yeah, we just finished our 60th. Uh Very, very terrific. Uh, The generic we, right? Yes. Uh, Actually, this one was my wife and I. My wife and I did the 60th work together. Oh, so so then I actually know the answer to this question. I was going to ask you which one is your favorite. Hmm. But you got to go with the one that you did with your uh, wife, no? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's really hard to think about what your favorite books are because they, for me, they have different they have different meanings, sure. right? The the first book I ever self published was, and this is the first book I ever did was such a long time ago, but it was so valuable because it opened up a world to me and and reinforced that I just loved the publishing space. I I love. The books that help me reinforce a message and help me, honestly, books that help me close clients. And so my one of my favorite books at the moment is, is the most current one that I did that I'm replacing with something new. It's, it's the being seen and being heard as a thought leader. Because what I did, I did that book as a compliment to the TED Talk with the same title. And I wanted to demonstrate how one can market a TED Talks are non-commercial in any way. So how somebody could market a non-commercial thing in a way that you're not even selling, you're just communicating effectively. Okay. You're doing what you said up front, which is right. is delivering value to others. So two notable ones are your first one that opened up a world for you and introduced you to the world of publishing and got you on this wonderful run you're on. And then the most recent, which is a fabulous book, and it ties so much into how you're helping small business owners like me become authors, do social selling, be aware of what's going on in the world today. So that's that's wonderful. So my but, next but, question... But, but, okay. but before we finish that, oh, I have please? to say, just so I don't sleep on the couch tonight instead of um, the bed. So the book I just did with my wife was we uh, we, we took a trip to, to Edinburgh and, and really, it's a picture book and words that talk about some of our favorite places we saw in Edinburgh. And, and so, I'll have to say that that one's pretty cool, too. I think that's the smart play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. I'm not, I'm, I won't be on the couch tonight. Okay. So, question um, six is, and I know you've helped other authors, uh, and you have written a lot of books like we just talked about. Um do you have a favorite author or a couple of favorite authors that are not necessarily part of your network that you could cite as some of your favorites? Oh, God, there's so many beautiful writers in the world and people. Uh, I, my favorite, and I don't, it's not even his books, my favorite 
business person in the world is Mark Cuban. Okay. Um, by far. Uh, I sat on that panel with Mark way back when. Um, probably that Amazon guy, you know, he's probably, he's probably my, hmm. oh, see, see, I don't even have to mention his name and people know, right? So, so yeah, I, I, um, I sat on a park bench with Jeff in 1996 when he was talking about what, uh, where things were going. Those are two of my favorite. In terms of my authors, the people who I really like are the people who end up transforming their lives. So a woman by the name of Pam Fox Rollin, she was able to publish her book and increase her consulting revenue by 6x by just putting the books in the hands of the people who found it successful. Um, I the One of my most recent books we haven't published yet is a guy by the name of Josh Jones who wants to transform the world to recognize that door-to-door selling makes a lot of sense. And he did a super compelling book. Um, I've got so many beautiful books that, that we're doing at the moment. And it's, it's fun to see people who are, I think, to answer your question generically as opposed to individuals, people who, when you see their book, that's their lives, right? They're... It's who they are. It's how they represent themselves. It's how they want to communicate to others. To me, that authenticity, when you see that, really makes you want to dive into the words that the author says and, and to watch them reinforce that with their actions. That's my favorite. So you mentioned Mark Cuban before. Does that mean that you're a fan of Shark Tank, the show he appears huge, on? Huge Shark Tank. Fan. I love that show. Yeah. And so Mark Cuban is your your favorite. He'd be my number one. If somebody said to me, Mitchell, if you could sit down and have a dinner with anyone in the planet, who would it be? Cuban's my Cuban's my number one. Very good. I love that show. And I'll, I'll tell you too, which is a little off topic, but um, my uh, my daughter, who's just about eighteen, and my son is twelve. They had stopped into the office earlier today, and you know I watch that show with them fairly frequently. And it's great for young individuals to watch that show. It is fun and entertaining. It's not a chore for them. But I find, especially with Marissa now getting ready to head off to college and wants to pursue, in all likelihood, a degree in business, she's gotten so much value out of that show in terms of watching the pitches and people knowing their numbers and some of the innovation that comes about. You know, try this business owner, don't do that business owner. And it really is a very worthwhile show. So, so here's what's really fascinating. So let's go behind the scenes for a second. When you and I were growing up, our parents didn't watch TV shows with us like that. This type of content wasn't available. So what are you doing with your daughter? You're sitting there and you're watching other people talk about best practices. Some of the things you know, some of the things you yes. may not have known. Yes. Right. And now what can happen is as opposed to saying, hey, Marissa, dad says you should do the following. You could say, oh, by the way, Mr. Wonderful says this or or Cuban says that or, mm-hmm. or you know, and, and oh, Damon John says we should go this way. And now what you can do, and, and this is where we talk about aha messages, you bring out the aha messages that other people have said, reinforcing and learning experience that you guys share together. And now you can carry that with you for years. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's what that that's what that show does for you with you guys watching it together. Absolutely. So you you mentioned a moment ago that um, it was different growing up, and so what did you learn about 
money growing up? In other words, so did you grow up in an affluent household? Was your family rich, poor, middle class? Um, what kind of household did you grow up in? So uh, I didn't learn much of anything about money. <laughs> Uh, we were we were poor. It was a single mom, a school teacher, three kids. Okay. So what I learned, so we had, by definition, we had no money. Although mom never made us feel like we didn't have any money, right? Just because we had sloppy joes on Monday night and hot dogs on Tuesday night for a kid and peanut butter and jelly on Wednesday. I mean, for a kid, man, this was absolutely beautiful. Um, and I think what... Mom did, which was pretty spectacular, is she made us feel like we could do anything. Right? So it wasn't so 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 no, I didn't know much about money and and, and mostly self taught in, in terms of that. I, I think I mean I could tell you learns I, uh, lessons that I learned post um, post sort of my high school growing up pages. But the the biggest thing was being made to feel that you could do anything you want was the powerful piece growing okay. up. And that, that is partially financial, you know, that you could make a lot of money if you choose to, or you could do X career or Y career, depending on what you want. But then it also transcends just a great life lesson about you could do what you want to do. So we talked about a lot has changed over the years, technology-wise, business-wise. We talked about TV being different with me sharing uh, TV with my children. What... Um, what money advice do you give to younger individuals? You're a thought leader, an influential guy, and I know it's not your area of expertise in the same way that it is for me given my career choice, but people come to you advice on a wide-ranging uh, issues, mm-hmm. right? So what, what money advice do you give to younger individuals, say you know, millennials that are 20-somethings getting started after college, let's say? So there, there are two pieces. But one, if you actually play the game Monopoly, that'll give you so much advice. So if you could figure out how to get a piece of property that you could rent out and get residual income on an ongoing basis, uh, that's pretty cool. Otherwise, if you're not going to be actively investing yourself, take as much money as you can put aside into a 401k or some pre-tax deferred area and put it, worst case, put it into a mutual fund or give it to a money manager who can then just watch it, don't touch it, just keep adding to it over time, and you'll be surprised at the compound interest over time and what you end up with after 10, 20, 30 years. Great advice, great advice. We work with a lot of retirees in the practice here, as you might expect, and retirement is such a uh, ingrained part of the persona of American working class, you aspire to retire. In the post-World War II America, this idea of retirement has come about. So for you individually, do you aspire to retire? Do you envision, do you have a date where I would like to retire and I'm done working? Or is that something you're not really actively pursuing and planning for? So what I would like anyone who's listening and everyone in the world to to think about, if, if you could actually love what you do if work equals play then you can play all the time and if you play all the time then there is no real concept of retirement you're just playing so for me i don't see myself actually retiring i one could argue that for 18 years i've taken friends and family to europe that maybe i'm living a retirement life now but i'm having fun and i'm making money and i'm enjoying myself and i love what i do and 
when what I do becomes something that is either not fun, I try to find somebody else to do it or try to sell our company, or if I can't make money at it, I try to do something else. So as long as I can be a contributing factor to society, which means that there's somebody out there in the world who wants to pay me for what I'm doing, I'm going to keep doing that because that's part of what I enjoy doing and I have fun doing it. So for somebody that's younger, relating this to the previous question, you know, the idea of I want to retire and stop working presupposes that work is just an absolute chore. That you hate Something work. that you just got to toil and grit your way through. But that's not such a great life. I don't think today's generation thinks that way. Yeah. And and I think the, the real benefit of... The, the evolution that's going to happen with today's world, today's generation, is that they're not going to work. There are people, your, your daughter, my son, who's 20, they're not going to accept jobs that they really are unexcited about. Mm-hmm. They'd rather not work than to do something they hate, right? And, and so it, it means a transformation of culturally who we are and, and what we think and how we expect. Think about what's happening in Japan with that cultural evolution that's happening in the workforce, we can't expect what what was true during the industrial age to be true in today's world. Excellent. So I know I didn't go, listeners, didn't go one, two, three, four, because the conversation's been so good. But we're at a, actually question 10, and fairly standard question for me when I have guests on. Uh, you live a wonderful life, but what is something that you splurge on? Hmm. <laughs> That's a great question. I, I don't know if we splurge, right? I we uh, eleven months of the year I'm busting my butt and having fun, and one month a year we we rent a house typically in Europe and have friends and family come visit. So I, you could say maybe that's our that's our splurge. splurge? I, I I don't know if that's a splurge or that's just part of life. Okay. Good. I'll accept that answer. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me for the 10 questions, kind of wide ranging. Uh, I appreciate it. So I will end it there, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to get to do this again soon. I look forward to it. All right, cool. So I will be back with you in an upcoming episode of the Simply Financial podcast very soon. But in the meantime, please go to our website, www.elliotwealth.com. You could get more information about me and the rest of the team here at Elliott Wealth Management. You can sign up for a free, no-cost, complimentary consultation so we could learn how we might be able to help you and you could learn how we might be able to assist you in winning with money. And you could sign up for our mailing list and also, like I said, get more information about the rest of the team. Thanks so much. I'll be back with you very soon. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss.
Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note, the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies, websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with SagePoint Financial. It was in New York.